Welcome to COVID Roulette. I'm Tony Wilson. It's a podcast about the pandemic, and we've shared many types of stories. And today, it's going to be the story of addicts. I'm visiting the supervised injecting facility in Lenox Street in Richmond. I'm going to chat to Dr. Nico Clark, who's the director of that facility. But as well as speaking to Dr. Clark, I also spoke to some people who used the room, starting with Alistair. COVID Roulette. Stories from the pandemic. G'day, I'm um, Alistair. I live in St Kilda, but I um, hang around Richmond a lot, yeah. <laughs> and I'm here, I've actually been in at the Richmond injecting room here, and you said that you're a client here, and I've actually been wondering what the what the experience of the pandemic was like for someone who was an addict and, and had that extra challenge to deal with during these years. Um, it didn't really make much of a difference, really, you know what I mean? The pandemic is like everything we here, but it was harder to get drugs during the pandemic, you know what I mean? There weren't as many people around. And the cops did a lot of blitz, I noticed that, you know what I mean? Yeah, more than you'd think, you know, with the pandemic. But, yeah, other than that, it didn't really make much of a difference because I don't live more than, say, five kilometres from here, so that helps as well, you know what I mean? So if you live more than five kilometres, you'd have a problem explaining yourself, you know, why you weren't within your area, yeah, so. And this is the only injecting room, right? So if, yeah. So that if you're, if you're more than five k's away, if you're down in Frankston, you're in trouble, right? You've got to go home and, yeah, yeah. So and I, an injection room's good. I, I, never, I didn't agree with it at the start, but as I've got older, I found that my health's declined and it's good when you're having drugs to be around these sort of things, just in case, yeah. Because when I was young, I never had any problems to take drugs, no worries, but I noticed just before the um, pandemic that I really did need the injection rooms, you know, for that reason, you know, so, yeah. And with the lockdown, how strict were you with it yourself? Were you were you really inside every day and, and did you have to deal with withdrawal in, in, in a lockdown situation that would have been extra stressful? Yeah, yeah, I had to, yeah, because I couldn't get out and do my normal thing and, yeah, it's hard when you're doing drugs, you need to get out and do your normal thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it did make it difficult, yeah, yeah. Were you working in these years as well? Yeah, I, I was lucky, I had a, a part-time job, so... Yeah, part, I do um, eight hours a week for an NDIS provider, yeah, so it's an um, interesting job. Yeah. And were you able to keep doing that? Yeah, 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 and I was lucky like that. A lot of people found it difficult to make the transition, but I'd already been working at home before the pandemic started, so yeah. And in terms of purity and, I guess, the risks associated with taking drugs, did the heroin change a lot while the pandemic was on? It went down for a couple of weeks there, but then it picked itself up again. But I think that was more when the pandemic finished, you know what I mean? Yeah. And is that, is that risky? Do you, do you have a big sort of worry when, when there are fluctuations? Can you tell? Yeah, well, during the pandemic, I actually got on some more purer stuff. And yeah, I did have some problems, you know what I mean? Because it was stronger than I was used to. Yeah, and I would have liked to go into the injection room a lot more, you know what I mean? But but yeah, it was good to have the injection room. So when I did take the Pura stuff, at least I was around someone. And that's what I was thinking, you know. Yeah, because I used to live around this area and I know it's like finding people dead in your doorstep. And I think if you're a drug addict, you kind of owe it to the community to go and use the injection room for that reason. So you don't die on someone's doorstep. Or Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, um, and in terms of homelessness, I don't know, you've obviously you're housed in St Kilda, but did you hear what addicts on the street were doing? What, what, how did they cope with 
people who actually didn't have a home to go to. Do you know what they were well, doing? It was actually, the pandemic got them a home. A lot of them got a home because they got the free accommodation at the hotels and that, and the government were quite happy. And I've noticed in the last few months they've pulled all that accommodation. So you've got a lot of people who weren't homeless during the pandemic who are now homeless again, yeah, because the pandemic got them out of homelessness because the government were quite happy to pay any money, whatever, you know. And they yeah. stopped paying now? Yeah, this was that, that was for a lot of people. They were paying the pandemic payments and all that. Well, thanks so much for sharing this experience no, with that's me. No is, there, is there a certain day you remember that will be your COVID story? Did you catch COVID? Uh, no, I didn't because, and I think it's mainly due because I, I spend most of my time at home. You know what I mean? Because of my job, so I was lucky in that respect. You know, and probably the only place I go is here. You know what I mean? And that's public. You know, but I never got COVID from anyone here. So yeah. And did you hear about people dying of COVID? I heard about it, but I never really seen it. You know what I mean? And my brother reckons he got it when he was in England, but he came back and did quarantine for two weeks, and he went to the doctor, and they reckon he didn't have it, but he reckons he did have it. You know what I mean? For a short time. And in terms of the future, is it going to help you? Does it make you? Does it change your outlook? Or are you pretty much that your addiction is pretty pretty long running? I gather. Is there a sense you can beat it, or do you want to beat uh, it? I'll come close, but I'm I'm kind of going downhill. But I'm always fighting it. You know what I mean? I'm not as bad as I used to be. I used to take a thousand bucks a day, and now I'm lucky to take a couple of hundred a week. You know, so considering to where I was to where I am now, is I'm a lot better, and I don't sell drugs anymore, which is a good thing. You know. <laughs> The only way I justified it before is because I took them, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And I'm trying not to take them so I don't sell them. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best. I really appreciate me, no, you helping right. me out with the show. That's all right. I hope I helped, yeah. No, no worries. worries. You did. Thank you. Peter. You're Peter, are yeah. you? Yeah. Peter, can you tell us about your pandemic? How has your COVID experience been? Well, we've stayed home a lot. I, we, there's a lot of restrictions. And so the lockdown, you did have a, a accommodation to live in and you weren't homeless or having to deal with living on the streets during COVID? No, no, I was at home. I was at home, luckily. But I believe if I wasn't, all my friends were in the hotel. All of them in the city. All of them. If they got a positive test? No, no, no. They've got, um, they, they got a roommate, as in um, because you're not allowed out at the time. So they are still living in the hotels. Yeah, so they, they, every hotel... So are you saying that people who didn't have permanent accommodation exactly. got put up by the government exactly. in hotels? Exactly, exactly. So I said to myself, oh, I wish that was me. Yeah, it's true, it's true. So oh, that's interesting. So the people who were living on the streets... There's probably most of them, some of them are quite, yeah, are here, yeah. And they're living in... Yeah, so they, they can't stay in the room for too long, so they come here. And then they go back there. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting, yeah. That is true, that, because you can't, no one's allowed out. Do you remember the restrictions? So they had to put them in there. Right, okay. And were those were those hotels under lock and key? Uh, um, no, they can go in and out at the time. Uh, they, well, I know that they do. I don't know about that. All I know is that they're going back there. Every hotel, nearly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, Peter, thanks so much for talking to me and sharing your pandemic experiences. Is it, is it going better now? Have you had COVID? No, I haven't. I haven't, ha I haven't luckily. Luckily, well, I haven't. I haven't. And um, I, do, I follow the restrictions. And um, sometimes I bend it, but um, yeah, just to be honest, yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast, Peter. All right, all right, thank all you. All the best. Yep. I'm Dr Nico Clark. I'm the medical director of the medically supervised injecting room in Richmond. 
I kind of oversee the the running of the injecting room here and including providing uh, direct care to some of the clients who who come in and attend the service either to inject typically heroin or because they they need some other support of one kind or another or some healthcare intervention. So we're doing a podcast about the pandemic. Has the pandemic affected people who have these issues who who are addicts? Look, it's been mixed. Look, at the beginning, m- many people didn't even know it was happening. I, I remember talking to somebody and they're going, what what pandemic? And this like been going on for a couple of months. <laughs> and we thought, are they joking? <laughs> um, so we've, you know, we've had the newspapers out and we've been kind of, initially, our role was just to kind of let people know what was happening, you know, because they didn't, re- they didn't really know. But the main impact that kind of happened later on, I think, um, there was certainly a disruption to the drug market. Uh, there were times when the availability of drugs declined, the purity appeared to decline, and then it's increased again. And whenever it kind of fluctuates like that, that can pose additional risks for people who who, who are using an unregulated product. It's difficult for them to know how much they're using. And then, of course, it, it increased their loneliness. Many people became quite lonely during the pandemic. But ultimately, um, it, when, you know, uh, their access to services reduced. Many face-to-face services weren't happening and, and that really affected people's capacity to get support of one kind or another. And then many people found themselves in um, a kind of accommodation services that were a high risk for COVID spreading when they maybe hadn't managed to get themselves vaccinated. And so there was certainly an outbreak in the community of people who are kind of um, homeless and injecting drugs, um, just well, toward you know just before it kind of became an outbreak in the the rest of the, the wider community. So when we were still aiming for COVID zero and people were being very careful, I can imagine there's parts of your clientele who aren't particularly careful about looking after themselves or others. Sometimes, did you have cases springing up? Were some of the isolated cases your people? So we went to great effort, I would say, to avoid being a site of transmission because we were concerned that if that was the case, people might question whether or not it's appropriate to have a facility like this in a pandemic. So we really, we made a big effort to, you know, that if there were any, anybody walked in here who was infectious, that they wouldn't transmit it. And that that happened only once that we know about that people we had picked up uh, you know somebody came through and then they got tested straight afterwards and it came back positive and that person had had another person sleeping on their couch and that other person was also positive but we did extensive tracking of everybody else who had used the facility at the same time and none of them um, had picked up the virus so, uh, you know, we were, did a lot of testing and a lot of uh, measures to prevent transmission. But as far as we know, there was no transmission in that COVID zero period. Uh, and then just, you know, October last year, basically, there was a wave of infections in um, the kind of, kind of temporary accommodation services. And many of our clients became infected in that time. And that was, uh, but that was kind of, you know, we'd already, it was already clear we'd gone beyond the COVID zero at that time point. And what about planning for something like a lockdown? What are the extra considerations for people that have a reliance on a street product? Was there panic amongst the government and would this lead to crime and disorder? And what, what were you all planning for? So in terms of somebody, if <coughs> somebody's told, you know, as we would tell people, you know, you've, you've got 
symptoms you you know or you need a test or you've got a test uh, you know you need to stay at home for a week because in those days you just had to you know while you're waiting for the test results you needed to stay home and and uh, later when people were, were COVID positive and, and um, you know that was a really a challenge for them when they had nobody to they might not have had a home they might not have had anyone to bring them you know food or cigarettes for that week or they might not have been able to access either their supply of opioids whether they're prescribed opioids like methadone or their their illicit supply and um, without leaving the house so we, we you know there were various kind of programs to kind of provide accommodation but they weren't really linked in with measures to provide prescription opioids in a timely way to prevent people going into opioid withdrawal so we really worked quite hard to support people who needed to isolate to have give them the choice of taking a prescription opioid like methadone or buprenorphine or this kind of buprenorphine injection so that they they wouldn't go into withdrawal and we would sometimes deliver those to their people's houses or kind of provide an injection in the you know in a car park or some other kind of setting that was kind of low COVID transmission risk um, to kind of enable people to effectively isolate but otherwise it's quite a challenge if you're you know somebody who's using an illicit substance and you don't have a community to support you. And what about lockdown? We were given our four reasons for leaving the house. I think probably an injection of a prescribed opioid would count as as a a medical reason for leaving the house. Um, is that right? Yeah, so any accessing any health service was a re- reason to leave the house. So anybody could come here because they're accessing a health service, whatever they're doing here, whether it's to come here and talk to somebody or to come here and receive a medicine or just to come here and, and, and use the injecting room. And in terms of addiction, did you do you think it was in any way a benefit to some clients that, that the supply was broken, that... Was this a chance to get off heroin? Have people used that, do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of people have done that. We had a big increase in the number of people asking us for support to to stop using heroin. And that coincided with the availability of this new medicine, this um, injection of buprenorphine, which can provide a, a stable supply of opioids for up to a month or sometimes longer even. So uh, we were certainly very busy kind of uh, helping those people who kind of requested our support to to commence the kind of uh, opiate pharmacotherapy with these medicines, which is the kind of standard treatment approach for heroin dependence. And we saw many people stop using in that period. And what about the changes in purity since the lockdown? Has it gone back up again? And has there been a, a large rise in, in deaths, heroin deaths in the last six months? Purity has gone back up again. So we the best way we can tell that is from the percentage of visits that result in an overdose and at the highest it's about three percent of visits so just prior to the lockdown it was about three percent of visits so if we had say 200 visits in one day for example that might be six overdoses so we we typically have had between two to 350 visits a day over the course of the trial up to a maximum of 450 and so we have kind of several overdoses every day and that rate goes up and down in a way that mirrors the purity of the you know heroin in the market and so it dropped down to less than half a percent at one point 
during the kind of the height of COVID lockdowns, and now it's come back up to three percent again. And is that simply because the docks were closed? You know, so where, wherever it would normally get in, it didn't get in. I don't think we know the answer to that question. You know, the the docks weren't completely closed. So it could be that it was the international travel challenges and many, you know, maybe kind of even people travelling challenges, you know. Uh, but it could be also local travel restrictions. Uh, certainly, I think it was more, you're more likely to be questioned by police if you were on the street in that period. So I don't think, we, it certainly coincided with lockdowns. But you know, I don't have a good sense of whether or not that was the local or the international restrictions that was kind of more responsible for it. But we certainly saw um, reductions in methamphetamine availability as well, not just heroin availability. And what was... Have you had COVID? Did you get it? And no, no I've miraculously, <laughs> we've managed to avoid it. I've uh, had plenty of vaccines, obviously, and I've kind of had lots of uh, clients uh, have COVID around me. I've even family members, but... I've somehow managed to avoid Well, I might have had it without realising it, or maybe I've just had lots of micro exposures and I've built up some kind of natural immunity through that process. But um, uh, I haven't got, uh, in touch wood, I haven't, yeah, haven't, managed, haven't gotten sick with it yet. Well, we've spoken to Richmond Community Health in an earlier episode, the, the Mubarak episode, and Laura told us how successful the vaccination program was through Richmond Community Health. Did the injecting room tap into that? Did you manage to, to, to get people vaccinated with a proactive move so we've we've been pretty good at getting people vaccinated we're up around the 70 percent vaccination rate for our clients at the moment we're still like that to be a little bit higher um so there's a high rate of had at least one but i've had two or three it's around the 70 percent rate there was um, a bit of hesitancy at the beginning and we initially we encouraged people to get vaccinated in the community health center next door and then we kind of developed uh, pathways to vaccinate people on site here so that they didn't even have to go next door so that we could facilitate that. But, you know, it required a bit, a little bit of persuasion initially. Um, there, you know, yeah, there were various kind of myths going around that, uh, you know, certain people were immune to the virus innately and things like this. And certainly when the kind of bad press came out about the AstraZeneca vaccine, nobody wanted that. And then we had to wait for the Pfizer vaccine. And, uh, you know, we've kind of um, managed to f- make it easy as possible for our clients to get vaccinated. And, and that's, uh, you know, certainly increased the, the vaccination rates to almost to the level of the general community. And, and is that hesitancy, do you think it's um, either cultural or related to education? Um, is there anything, is there any concern in this particular group about the way vaccine and uh, opioids might react? No, the, the main impact of opioids can be it can to reduce the, your immune response to anything. So you're more likely to get infections or cancers even if you have long-term user, user of opioids. So there, there were certain myths, like there were some in our indigenous client groups, they, there was kind of certainly stories going around that it wasn't something that was going to affect them. And, and it was really from the relationships that we had with people that, that we were able to help them get across the line. That And, you know, there's certainly many of our clients have, have difficulty trusting people when they, you know, like uh, medical figures or other authority figures just 
um, because of the negative experiences they've had in the past. So it, having a relationship with those people help help them get vaccinated. And many people would say, you know, I don't know, what do you think? And we'd say, oh, I think it's a you know good idea. And they go, okay, and you know we'd do it like that. And and so what are the challenges now with this group and with your job and with the pandemic? Do you sort of feel like you're taking a deep breath? We're moving to a sort of a a better phase? Oh, it's so much better than it was six months ago. So if I can paint the scene, you know, prior to, you know, the kind of reduction of restrictions, all the clients have been kind of given masks before they walk in the door and they're being kind of reminded you know, if they ever take the mask off to put it back on again, we were putting these kind of uh, N95 masks, which work more effectively than these kind of surgical ones. All the staff wearing these masks and face shields and gowns. Every room has got the kind of the sound of air filtration devices to filter the room more quickly. When people come and use the room, they can't stay and have a chat and have a tea and coffee and something to eat and kind of interact. It becomes became much more clinical and you know that was it was not a fun place to work it was not a fun place to visit and you know the and that was really as well as the additional stresses from all of us of kind of being in a covid environment it was like a really a challenging place to be and uh, now you know that's just like that weight has lifted the numbers of people visiting the injecting room have 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 increased people are staying around to having something to eat we've st- we've just had a project uh, where people we've bought some art supplies for people and they've uh, they've been kind of after they've used the injection room they've stayed around and and done some artwork and we've got a an exhibition of that on at the moment down at the local shopping center so it was you know it's just kind of changed the atmosphere completely back to the kind of situation it was before when you know people are just happy to come here to connect with the staff and each other and uh, it's you know it's a much more pleasurable place to work for and to be for everybody well fingers crossed that continues and 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 fingers double crossed that we even get further improvements in terms of the COVID numbers and the deaths and all that sort of thing but thanks so much Nico for coming on it's a pleasure thank you that's the end of the episode. I'm Tony Wilson. COVID Roulette is an Elkington Community Centre project and it has been funded through the Victorian Government's Local Community Access Grants Program. It's conceived and produced by myself and Leanne Coglin. Our musical theme is from David Bridey. Our artwork from Lee Arkapal. Big thank you to Dr Nico Clark and the Injecting Room staff for arranging these interviews. Thank you to Alistair for providing an addict's perspective and to Peter too for sharing his thoughts. That's it for now. And remember with COVID, it is a lottery. Some people affected a great deal, some people hardly at all. Give yourself the best odds possible when the roulette ball is dancing. Get yourself vaccinated.